0: Three to us on Blessed Cardinal John Henry Newman, by Father Ian Kerr. When the Catholic Church canonises somebody, we are talking about heroic virtue, heroic sanctity, that the person was heroic. We're not talking about somebody being faultless. I think sometimes people used to say, oh well Newman had this fault and that fault, so he couldn't be a saint. That's actually not relevant, because no one is perfect and all the saints have faults what the Church is looking for is, is a heroic quality, not looking for impeccability, looking for heroism. And Newman heroically followed the kindly light of truth through his life and suffered a great deal of as he was led on. Gradually from the Bible Protestantism that he was brought up in in the Church of England and through that evangelical conversion of his and, and through that liberal phase when he was a fellow warrior when he came into contact with some of the leading minds in, in Oxford also in the Church of England, and then through his reading of the Greek Fathers, and that kindly of light of truth had led him into the Catholic Church, which at the time certainly was not a church which one would call totally scriptural, a church totally, certainly didn't read the Fathers, the theology was in rather a very low ebb. So he entered a church which was in many ways very foreign to him, and he suffered as a result of that. But nevertheless, he continued to follow the kindly of light of truth, certainly more to the church he joined, but also ready to be critical when necessary. And finally, after all the sufferings of his, he was finally vindicated when Pope Leo the Thirteenth raised him to the College of cardinals. Newman is never going to be a popular saint like Mother Teresa of Calcutta I mean, his heroism consisted mainly frankly in the books he read in the fact that he was a great thinker who follows his conscience deeply followers of somebody who was f- filled with faith. That's why when he's canonised, I'm sure he will be very soon. He would be declared a doctor of the church. A doctor of the church is not just somebody who's written all the theology books. A the doctor of the church is somebody who is so filled with faith that the church puts that person before the faithful as a model, as a model teacher. That's what he means, teacher of the church. Now, that, that's a hard, heroic business. He's, in that sense, he likes St. Thomas Aquinas. St. Thomas Aquinas can never be a popular saint in the words I'd say, like Mother Teresa or St. Francis of Assisi. But there is a heroism involved in the integrity needed for that kind of intellectual work that, that Newman followed, the integrity and the faith that was necessary. But having said all that, of course, there was another side to Newman altogether, and that is the fact that Newman was both an Anglican and as a Catholic. There was always a pastoral priest. He never occupied a chair in the university. In Oxford, he, he was vicar of the university church, St. Mary, the Virgin. After his ordination of the Diaconate, he was a Puritan, a working-class parish, St. Clements. And then when he became a Catholic, of course, in the Birmingham Archie, he continued in the pastoral setting. The Birmingham Archie had a parish. They ran the parish of Edgbaston. So throughout his life, he worked, except I suppose when he became a partner. By them, of course, he was very old anyway. But he was always dealing with people. I mean, he was a pastor, essentially. And his books were written out of that pastoral concern. He didn't sit down and write academic terms as, as an academic would. And we can see, only from the letters that he wrote, that his parish was, was you might say, was the world. I mean, he, that again shows great heroism, because he, he had no secretary, there were no typewriters or computers. He found writing by the hand very painful. And he wrote, what's this? book? We have about 20,000 letters surviving. To the most insignificant and inconspicuous people. was a wonderful letter when he's a cardinal, very old, he can barely make the letters, draw letters out. To a seamstress in groomsby who used to send him underclothes, used to nickel for, make for him. It's that kind of letter that shows you that the saint in the man. In the 1830s, when Newman was at his Anglican prime, so to speak, and he wrote the these University Sermons, which were really lectures on faith and reason between 1839 and 1841, and he was faced with a situation that had been, that had risen in the 19th century with the rise of science, whereby theologians, Philosophers confronted with the enormous success of, of scientific discoveries had been overwhelmed by a sense that the scientific criterion for truth, as they imagined, of course they were quite simple about it, they thought science obviously much more uncertain than they thought it was at the time, but that that scientific criterion of truth was the only criterion that counted for objective certainty. And so therefore, theologians philosophers from Schleiermacher right through Kant to Boltzmann, and then right down to people like Don Cupich in Cambridge essentially abandoned the claim that religious propositions any longer stated any objective truths. And so instead, religious propositions came to be seen as merely expressions of sentiment, of attitude towards life. They were seen some existential statements about what's good for me, what what suits me, what, what's true for me, but not what's true for you or anybody else. And, and Newman refused to go down that route, which of course removes any kind of certainty and truth from the religious sphere, to purely subjective truth. So to do, and in order to avoid doing and following that route, he enlarged our idea of reason that had been so attenuated ever since the Enlightenment. And those wonderful sermons that he preached to say, oh, there were lectures between 1839 and 1841, are precisely about this, showing that, in fact, Ruger's propositions are no different from all the many of the other propositions that we use in our daily life, of an unscientific kind, but which we wouldn't dream of doubting such as, for instance, a husband who was convinced that his wife loves him, that he the scientific criteria of truth, so they don't apply there. So I knew even saw that there was nothing odd or peculiar about religious propositions. They were, there were so many things that we believe, don't have any hesitation in believing in life. We would be irrational not to believe, are in fact not susceptible either to logical proof or to scientific proof. I used to be asked, to, when I gave lectures, why he hadn't been beatified and canonized, and I was used to say, well, because people aren't praying to him. It's the kind of people who are interested in Newman, let's say uh, academics and scholars and intellectuals, I'm afraid aren't necessarily the people who are, who are going to be asked for his prayers. And, indeed, I was saying that on the television program, EWTN, talking about that very point that got this American Jack Sullivan start praying, who he knew practically nothing about Newman, as he's told me himself. But he was very, very ill and he was, you know, he was ready to try anything as And so he started praying to Newman, and it's because of his prayers and faith. We're when, when now this situation, namely that of has been beatified. I think it's very appropriate in every way good that the person who's been healed is not somebody who's writing a thesis on Newman or a book on Newman, but so to speak an ordinary person who, who's a very, very, very good and wonderful man, but he's certainly not called himself an intellectual or a scholar. I've never had any doubt myself that he's the same.